great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Well, a great day when uh, the stock market didn't lose any money today. It actually was up, shockingly. A uh, headline over at CNBC, it says NASDAQ closes higher on Wednesday as stocks stabilize selling uh, following massive sell-off. Uh, the uh, stock market actually was not up very much. We uh, had a rise of 30 points on the Dow, <laughs> which is a fraction, a fraction, a fraction of 1%, tiny fraction. But still, it means things moving in the right direction. It means not a repeat of what happened yesterday. And what happened yesterday, and again, I think mainstream media are underplaying this to some extent, was just a disaster for Joe Biden. And it was a disaster for Democrats who are trying desperately to avoid what it seems to me is a, um, uh, a very, very likely Republican victory, at least in terms of taking over the House of Representatives. The Senate, especially after the results in the New Hampshire primaries last night, the Senate uh, is going to be tougher. And uh, the Senate probably will look very much like this Senate, uh, either evenly divided or um, maybe one or two seat advantage for Democrats. That's possible. But uh, Biden's not helping right now because he, he, on this day when the stock market was down almost 1,300 points, 1,300 points, and people were really talking about panicked selling, people trying to sell off some of their investments because they were going the wrong direction. Um, Biden was doing a victory lap for the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. And remember that, the greatest triumph? He, he has said he thinks this is one of the greatest pieces of legislation in history. Not, uh, uh, not the creation of Social Security, not the creation of Medicare, uh, I mean, even for a liberal, the Inflation Reduction Act is one of the greatest pieces of legislation in history. By the way, if you think so, I'll, I'll talk to you. 1-800-955-1776. Um, okay. The uh, president was speaking and doing his uh, victory lap. And what's fascinating is that Fox News and CNN... Both, both interrupted the president and went away from his self-congratulatory rhetoric and talking about how great things were and how positive things were to cover the collapsing market. Now, this is from yesterday. Today's a little bit better. It's a lot better. Uh, but um, here is what it sounded like on Fox News, clip one. For years, so many of us have been trying to fix this problem. But for years, Big Pharma blocked Medicare from negotiating lower drug practices. Prices. All right, I do not want to be a party crasher, but we interrupt this celebration for a hard, cold dose of reality. Stocks tanking because inflation is accelerating. The very inflation that the president says he's made great progress addressing, heralding his Inflation Reduction Act as the boon for the economy that we didn't see in a key number out earlier today. Okay, the key number was uh, inflation at a rate of 8.3%, which is appalling and has an impact on every single American. 
And by the way, it wasn't just Fox News. Listen to uh, the way that CNN handled the same speech. And uh, it you can no longer say that, well, okay, CNN is going to predictably uh, do a cheerleading section for Biden at the same time that Fox is going to do throwing things at Biden. Uh, no, they're actually the CNN soundbite. Well, just judge for yourself. Uh, this is clip five. Okay, you're listening there to President Biden at the White House. He's celebrating the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. He says that he's been fighting Big Pharma for decades. Um, but there is this unfortunate split screen right now with the Dow taking a total beating down more than 1,200 points. And so it feels like uh, it's hard to be celebratory for some people in the crowd. Okay, uh, okay, as gracious as she could be, they still broke into the president's speech. Because uh, the president's speech seemed out of touch, not connected to reality. And uh, uh, Stephanie Rule on MSNBC spoke about that and about the problem of inflation and the idea that, unfortunately, it's a fantasy that inflation is going away. Now, it'll go away at some point. We'll get hold of it. But the question that people are asking, serious economists are asking, is will the cost of getting inflation under control be going through a recession, which nobody wants? Uh, this is uh, MSNBC and Stephanie Rule, clip two. Inflation, the thought that things are going to go down quickly, it ain't happening. You said it, rent is high, healthcare costs are high, energy costs are high. And we talk about inflation as it relates to going to the grocery store. And for you and me, every time we go in there to get our milks, egg, butter, cereal, everything is still very expensive. So for families, the everyday things we're buying still cost a lot. Okay, uh, that's real, and that's broadcast to America at the same time they were having this all-Democrat event at the White House uh, to celebrate the Inflation Reduction Act. And uh, Chuck Schumer was at the, um, uh, the, the White House event, and uh, basically so was Nancy Pelosi, where she had a uh, please clap moment you remember that from jeb bush during his unfortunate presidential campaign that didn't do very well he uh toward the end of his campaign he was giving a spirited speech for jeb bush and uh and at one point he didn't get much applause and he said please clap and it became a famous thing in political discourse here is pelosi's please clamp moment she was hyping the inflation reduction act and as she spoke about all the things that democrats are apparently doing for the children uh, she paused for resounding and thunderous applause it sounded like this 1.5 mr president thank you for unifying and inspiring a vision of a stronger fairer safer future for all, for our children. Your extraordinary leadership has made this glorious day possible. I, that's an applause line. <laughs> Jill was applauding. <laughs> okay. okay, at least she has a sense of humor and everyone's glad that Jill has recovered 
from her bout with uh, COVID. And then uh, at the same White House event, there was Chuck Schumer, who uh, reveled in jeers from the crowd as he attacked Republicans. Uh, That's clip. uh, Well, we will get to that uh, because there is much more. Um, Look, there is a, a great deal going on. And there's also a great deal going on that that may actually dwarf in importance some of the political squabbles of the day. And I'm talking about the, the remarkable performance of President Zelensky and the Ukrainian army. We're going to be talking about that with uh, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters, veteran army intelligence officer, a former contributor to uh, Fox News, who's uh, going to tell us about what next in uh, in Ukraine, particularly at a time when serious people like uh, Walter Russell Mead, a great foreign policy international relations professor, are honestly worried about tactical nuclear weapons. We will get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. not just Fox News, it's also MSNBC, where basically the troubling economic signs, the uh, rocky economic landscape right now is upstaging the president's attempts to convince everybody that happy days are here again. Remember, of course, that is the old-time Democratic theme song. It was used for President Roosevelt, when he was selling the New Deal back in 1932 and 1936, and happy days are here again, the skies above are clear again, now's the time to cheer again, happy days are here again, right? Uh, Are they really? Ari Melber at MSNBC uh, says not exactly. Listen. The prices are still out of control, and that hits a lot of people really week to week. You could black out the news. You could stop paying attention to whatever. You can't ignore that everything costs more than it did last year. Here's the headline. Inflation stubbornly high. Wages not keeping pace with these fast-rising prices, which they note is also an uncomfortable truth for a president who promised to make real wage gains a centerpiece of his economic program. Okay, one of the things that is fascinating to me is that um, I I think what we're seeing is an illustration of uh, some folks in the news falling out of love. Uh, Because, again, uh, especially when there was a competition directly against President Trump, who, of course, had not exactly endeared himself to the uh, major news media, I mean, calling them enemies of the people and... 
Uh, and I know, and Biden has said that MAGA Republicans are enemies of the state. That kind of rhetoric from both sides is so stupid and so pathetic. But right now, you've got voices on MSNBC, on not just on Fox, not just on One America's Network, not just on Newsmax, uh, on MSNBC and CBS and ABC, uh, voices that are questioning and more slamming uh, Biden on uh, the economic management, the stewardship that he has brought to the country to which he was elected president regarding the economy. And uh, the Democratic caucus chair, Hakeem Jeffries, a congressman from New York, he's a brilliant guy, by the way, and he's one of the more impressive rising young generations of Democrats. There are a lot of people who think he would be the next speaker if 82-year-old, uh, and yes, she really is 82, Nancy Pelosi retired or was retired. If uh, she loses her majority, which I think is very likely, uh, the next speaker for Democrats, if they ever get the majority back, would probably be Hakeem Jeffries of New York. But... He was uh, called out for misleading rhetoric. This is at a Democratic press conference today on their favorite issue. Their favorite issue, of course, is abortion. And uh, here is Hakeem uh, Jeffries. Listen. Isn't it misleading to say that Senator Graham's legislation is a nationwide abortion ban when really what it is is banning procedures after 15 weeks with some exceptions, like the case of the health of the mother or um, in cases of rape or incest, but uh, do, what is the Democratic position on limits to abortion? Because even Graham's initial proposals for 20 weeks would have really put the United States on par with most European nations uh, that have limits on abortions after a certain period. I'm gonna to yield to Catherine Clark uh, on this issue. I'll simply say my position is Roe v. Wade, which the Republicans, have fought hard to dismantle, making sure a woman has the freedom to make her own reproductive health care decisions, a decision that should be between a woman and her doctor. But up until the moment of birth? A decision that should be between a woman and her doctor, and I support Roe v. Wade. Okay, Roe v. Wade doesn't say that. I, I wonder if Hakeem has, has read the decision. Because Roe definitely, uh, explicitly, um, makes a uh, an exception and allows total restrictions on abortion after the child in the womb has reached the point of viability, which at the time that uh, Roe was adjudicated was about 24 weeks. And again, what they're talking about is... An, and this is one of those things the Democrats don't want you to know. It came up yesterday on, on the show. We had a caller about it. Uh, how many abortions are in those first uh, 15 weeks of, of uh, pregnancy where the Lindsey Graham bill, which, by the way, didn't get a great response from anybody. And no, of course, it's going nowhere. But I think it's a worthwhile attempt to make it clear that Republicans aren't crazy or out there or on some kind of extremist promontory on this particular issue, because what Lindsey Graham was talking about would not have interfered with 
0.5% of the abortions that are performed in the United States of America. Because those 95% of abortions occur during the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. After that, when babies are more capable of feeling pain, which is one of the things that Lindsey Graham emphasizes in his bill, uh, the, and, and the, as the questioner asked, as European countries provide, uh, and as Roe v. Wade provided, Roe v. Wade provided for the opportunity of limitations to abortion uh, that, that are perfectly legal under Roe v. Wade, during the second trimester of pregnancy and a, uh, a, an ability to ban abortion totally except for the life of the mother in the last trimester of abortion and, and the support for final trimester abortion bans is overwhelming. It's huge. And anytime you can actually determine that it's, it's, it's not Republicans who are taking crazy, cuckoo, extremist positions. It's people like Hakeem Jeffrey when he basically denies the existence of a beating heart and a living human being. You notice I'm not saying a living person. And debates about when personhood begins, uh, okay, that's, that's a separate matter. But what you cannot deny is that the baby that you're terminating is alive and that it is human. The DNA says so kind of unequivocally. Uh, we will be right back with uh, what could make the economic situation even worse. Well, maybe it's happening. We'll get to that on the MedVed Show. The uh, the looming railroad workers strike, which involves uh, 13 uh, different unions, and uh, it's it's a complicated mess. And I this is one of those things where if you if you love America and you love being able to get the stuff you need at the supermarket and everywhere else, and you love the f supply chain that normally works here. You want this strike to be solved. It, it is the last thing that the Biden administration needs right now. Uh, this is the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, who is talking, um, actually saying something that you have to agree with. How about that? Alert the media. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, who you got to feel sorry for occasionally because there's been so much bad news piling up and so many embarrassing moments. And if this strike 
hits, it would be devastating the economy. This is not uh, concerning rail as a mode of transportation. We're not talking about passenger trains. We're talking about freight trains, stuff that brings material to market. And uh, with a looming strike, well, this is what Corinne uh, Jean-Pierre has to say. Listen. Clip seven. I mean, we're going to be very honest. A, sh a shutdown would have a tremendous impact uh, on our supply chains, as you all know. It's going to have a ripple uh, effects into our overall economy uh, on the American American families. A shutdown is not acceptable. That is not something uh, that we want. It risks harming families. It risks harming uh, harming businesses and whole communities. And we have made that clear empathetically and repeatedly uh, to both parties. So we are aware of the impact this might have, which is why, uh, again, the president put together uh, the PEB the board back in July uh, to make sure that there was a negotiation framework to make sure there were neutral arbiters uh, that could help uh, get to a solution here. The two unions that are talking about the dispute have not accepted these recommendations. What's the president's view of those recommendations? Is he urging them to accept the recommendations before Friday's deadline? So I'm not going to get ahead of the conversations that are ha happening right now. What we are saying is we want to see, continue to see the good faith. We believe that the negotiations, the conversations are happening in good faith. Okay, uh, this is the breaking news, the latest. Uh, rail systems brace for shutdowns. Amtrak cancels routes as strike threat nears. Some regional rail agencies said they are preparing for service stoppages as early as Thursday evening. Thursday evening is tomorrow night. This is before a possible Friday strike. Transit systems across the country were on edge Wednesday amid the threat of a freight rail worker strike, uh, making preparations uh, ahead of possible travel disruptions that could affect hundreds of thousands of rail customers. Amtrak said it is canceling all of its long-distance trains starting Thursday. Wow. Why it matters? It's the latest disruption stemming from a looming labor strike that could start as soon as Friday, which would lead to a shutdown of most of the country's railway system. It would be the first U.S. railway strike in nearly 30 years. It is not expected to affect the Northeast Corridor as it is primarily owned by Amtrak. Amtrak workers are not involved in the labor dispute between the country's largest freight railroad companies and their workers, but most of the passenger railroads' long routes use track that is owned and maintained by the freight railroads. Okay, the big picture, ongoing talks between the freight companies and the workers have been led by the White House. Great. Uh, the unions have threatened to strike if their requests regarding labor conditions and pay are not heard. And sick time policies have been the primary impasse throughout the talk so far. Um, talk about sick time. I, I, okay, I am reminded of, of something here, and it's, it's not something that is pleasant to think about. But uh, what I'm talking about is the Carter presidency, is that when Jimmy Carter was running for re-election, it was literally, it was one thing after another. The two things that stick in mind, and I, and I remember, and I've, I've talked about this before, sometimes it's almost as if 
a higher power. You can call it fate. You can call it destiny. You can call it God if you want. Just seems to be trying to send us a message by coordinating a lot of negativity all at once. It's like the 10 plagues. And for Jimmy Carter, there were two things like that. There was a, a, a it's at, an utterly unbelievable press story that got out. He was taking a vacation and uh, he was in a boat in the bayou and he was attacked by a rabbit. Now, they don't know what was wrong with the rabbit. And this is not like there's a story today of uh, they've had the first kangaroo attack fatality in, in, <laughs> in Australia in 80 years. And um, so that's, that's not going well. They, they shot the kangaroo. The, the murderer got in any event. Jimmy Carter on vacation, and this was national news. Was and you, uh, during a time when the Cold War is still going on, and you're facing down Russia, it's just a bad look for the president to be attacked by a bunny rabbit, and uh, you, you don't expect that. And then Mount St. Helens, you had this de devastating, and, and and apparently we didn't live in the Northwest at that point. But Mount St. Helens was a huge deal. It was right in the middle of the Carter re-election campaign. And uh, the question was, what else can go wrong? Uh, it's, isn't it beginning a little bit to, to feel like that? And uh, what would the impact of, of this kind of strike be? And again, if, if what they're talking about is sick leave, uh, how sick are, are, are rail industries generally? And doesn't this extra vulnerability raise questions about why we are putting so much more money into building other rail alternatives? It's, uh, it's a, a, a difficult uh, moment. The uh, uh, majority of the unions... The labor dispute is between BNSF, Union Pacific, and CSX, and the majority of the unions representing around 115,000 workers. Uh, the unions have uh, threatened a strike if their requests regarding labor conditions and pay are not heard, and sick time policies have been the primary impasse through the rail talks so far. And again, Biden, I think, has done the right thing to get himself directly involved but the insistence on on putting himself in the picture also makes the risks for the white house and the white house being uh, badly damaged here all the more serious which um which brings us back to just some of the the ongoing sense of uh, the United States being headed in the wrong direction. Uh, the, the polling here has been incredibly consistent. And uh, again, we spoke about this big poll that showed that almost two-thirds of Americans wanted uh, both President Biden and President Trump to retire from politics or who knows? Maybe maybe no one would mind if uh, 
Uh, President Trump ran for Senate from Florida, and if Joe Biden ran for governor of Delaware, not going to happen. Basically, retiring from politics at advanced age is maybe not the worst thing in the world. Uh, you know what is one of the worst things in the world? Litter. There's an attempt to address the litter crisis in Washington state. We'll get to that. Medved show, uh, there were two controversial winners in the New Hampshire primaries uh, last night. Uh, one, a candidate for Congress, for one of uh, New Hampshire has only two seats in the House of Representatives. Uh, one of them, the Republicans had particularly hoped to flip. The winner, and it's a little bit of a surprise, was a uh, uh, young woman. 25 years old, a Gen Zer, as she is trumpeted, named Carolyn Levitt. Uh, she is a very strong supporter of President Trump. And uh, actually, she is one of the candidates who the Democrats were, were hoping and pushing for winning, as did another winner last night in New Hampshire, General uh, Don Balduk, who's taken all kinds of controversial positions. They both believe that the election of uh, 2020 was stolen and that it should be overturned and uh, that, um, I mean, General Balduk has called for the abolition of the FBI, said he would be open to that. Uh, and now what this brings up is a little bit of gamesmanship that the left has been playing. And to make the situation for Republicans that much more difficult by finding a very outspoken and uh, edgy candidates like uh, Levitt and Balduck to represent the Republican Party. Here's what Fox News' Brett Baer uh, said about the millions of dollars. And it's, it's millions that may be approaching hundreds of millions of dollars that Democrats have spent to promote Republican candidates they think will be unelectable. People like uh, Doug Mastriani of uh, Pennsylvania, who has all kinds of challenges in his campaign, and the new polling doesn't look that optimistic for him. But here is Brett Baer on Fox. Listen. In New Hampshire's second House district, uh, Republicans are hoping to unseat Democratic Congresswoman Annie Custer. Leading the pack, you've got uh, Keene Mayor George Hansel and businessman Robert Burns. Now, a Democrat super PAC has bought ad time trying to boost Burns, who's seen by Democrats as less formidable candidate for Custer in November. And that's actually one of the major stories this election cycle. Democrats spending on Republican primary candidates, MAGA candidates, that they think they can beat They've spent more than $53 million across nine states to do that while calling them a threat to democracy. And uh, again, if they are really a threat to democracy, if that's really the truth, first of all, part of what this, this demonstrates is politics is not war. You don't ever get to entirely wipe out your enemy or destroy their state or uh, basically... You're trying to win a battle, not exterminate the other side. 
And when uh, people like President Biden say that uh, our, the MAGA Republicans need to be shut down entirely because their mere existence represents a threat to democracy, uh, that is a kind of intemperate language that's not going to help him and certainly not going to help the country. Speaking about something else that, that would help the country, there's at least a little bit of attention from the state of Washington to something that is has been a mounting problem in this state, and it's it's very visible. It is something that bothers me every day, and probably many of you. It uh, the story uh, from the state is that more than seventy five percent of Washington residents choose to not litter. Well, hooray! That's like choosing not to pee in public, isn't it? I mean, come on. Choose not to litter. And 26% uh, of litterers say they would be motivated to stop if a friend, family member, or passenger asked them to refrain, according to a research commissioned by the Washington State Department of Ecology. These numbers sound promising, but the truth is that more than 18 million pounds of litter accumulate annually on Washington's roads, parks, and recreation areas. Uh, preliminary results from a 2022 statewide litter study show that 24,000 litter items per mile on Washington's urban interstate highways, plastic food wrappers, snack bags, and cigarette butts are some of the most commonly found items. In the Ecology Department's 2021 research, people also identified not having a car trash bag as the top reason they litter. Okay, th think about that for, for a moment. First of all, I, I think people are probably lying. I, when people say 75% of the people don't litter, I, I think that's optimistic. Uh, and, and for some reason, it's been getting worse. And does that have to do with the homeless encampments everywhere and the tremendous production of litter for which they're responsible? Of course it does. But uh, basically, they're trying to do something about it. And it seems to me that it's appropriate to call attention to it and say, okay, at least this is an attempt. The um, Washington State Department of Transportation and the Ecology Department together spent more than nine million annually on cleanup efforts pickup crews and volunteers collected 357 tons of garbage in july alone unfortunately this is only a small fraction of what is tossed on the road and millions of pounds of waste gets left behind litter adds up when we don't make simple choices to properly dispose of garbage it damages our environment hurts wildlife and threatens public health safety in our economy said Governor Jay Inslee. Okay, he's right on this. And he, here are the ecology simple as that campaign, which is designed to help prevent litter by changing behaviors that cause it. Always have a dedicated container for collecting trash. Okay, some little bag, something, a box. You can have something like that in your car, right? Hold on to trash from your travels until you reach a waste receptacle at a gas station, rest area, or your destination. Are, are we talking about kindergartners? I mean, are we talking to adults here? 
And then live litter-free and help others to do the same. Make sure your friends and family know how to live litter-free and help them make better choices. When we all look out for each other, it makes a big difference for our state. Okay, all of this is true, but it goes to another issue, and I do not have an answer for it, except it may be indicative of sort of the total breakdown, which is also illustrated by what they call euphemistically people experiencing homelessness. Uh, Seattle used to be, and, and we moved here in 1996, and during the first couple of years we lived here, one of the things we were very proud to show friends who would come to visit this wonderful new home we had made for ourselves, uh, they, uh, the, the lack of graffiti downtown. Seattle was famous in the 90s, was famous in the early 21st century for having a vibrant downtown, economically alive. It was elegant. You could go out there at night and walk crime-free. All of that is gone. There is graffiti everywhere. And this is not litter. This is not just a, a thoughtless. This is a criminal act. And it's destroying people's property. It's destroying the quality of life. It's harming businesses. And they seem to be, while, again, good for them and trying to take care of the litter problem, that graffiti problem is, is also related to it. And is there a reason? Has there been a change in police policy regarding graffiti? And why is it that uh, across Lake Washington in Bellevue... Um, you don't see the same levels of of litter or graffiti. Do they have a, a better means of dealing with it? Uh, they must. Uh, we do have a 30-second... Uh, no, we do not. Okay. Uh, when uh, we come back, uh, we are going to be speaking to Ralph Peters, retired Army lieutenant colonel and a best-selling author a uh, controversial strategist and veteran of the intelligence world. What is actually going on in Ukraine? Uh, people have said Ukraine just punched its bully in the nose. The nose is bloody, and the Russians have turned tail and run. So now what? What next? Chemical war? God forbid, tactical nuclear usage by Putin? We will get to that and much more with Ralph Peters coming up in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth. 